0: Okay, it's going. All right. Uh, this is the soft walls
1: here. Hi, I'm Sam Barber. I'm Petey.
2: Emily, Jocelyn,
1: and me. <laughs> I do have
0: a name.
2: <laughs>
0: All right. So, um, uh, I we recorded a couple of micro podcasts for Jack Spirko. So Jack Spirko has me on his expert council out at the Survival Podcast, and um. I don't know, I think it was like uh, five days ago, a week ago, maybe it was a week ago, we recorded the two podcasts. So Jack sent me these two recordings. People called in and, and asked me to provide responses. And um, so I, I provided those responses and mailed them in. And then today I popped out to Jack's site just before dinner to see if um, they might have gone up. And um, while they have not gone up... Um, there, there was, I didn't see my name. <laughs> and it's like, what's, what's that? And, and so apparently uh, somebody called in and they said, uh, Jack, this is a question for not Paul Wheaton, but for Darby Simpson. And it's about something Paul Wheaton wrote. So it's about my chicken article. And so they wanted Darby Simpson to provide an analysis she um, had planned on doing the chicken tractor and then she read my article and she was like, "Oh no I'm going to not do the chicken tractor oh Darby oh Darby, help me I'm going to not do a chicken tractor, but that's what you recommend and so um, uh, then so then Jack put in some commentary something about there's a duel between me and Darby although I thought it was kind of like I'm, I'm propped up, my effigy is propped up, Darby shoots at it, and then Jack declares a winner. Yeah. Darby wins. And, and it's kind of like, really? Seriously? <laughs> I, I don't even get a gun? I don't actually even get to be there? <laughs> and it's a duel? So, <laughs> what, what kind of, what kind of duels is, is, is he seen? Alright, so, mm, the duel is on! Dueling Podcasts! So, um, It's, it's Jack's podcast, uh, 1297. Um, and, uh, okay. So I've got, I've got pages of notes on what, I mean, it was about 15 minutes, right? About 15. yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 The first thing to clarify is tractor versus pen. And they were using that vocabulary a little different.
0: You know, I, I wrote that article out of feeling such powerful angst. At trying, people would ask me, what do you think about what I'm doing here? And I would try to start describing. I've got this enormous gob of stuff to say. And I would get maybe 11 seconds into it and they would stop me. And it's like, it's just, it's just too complicated and negative and I don't want to hear it. And, and so I ended up writing the article just out of frustration, out of trying to convey what's in my head, which apparently was just too complicated. And, and I think it's human nature to assume that if there's another person, that that person is utterly and completely wrong and a dumb fuck and full of shit until they can prove otherwise within eight seconds. And it's kinda of like, I feel like my position is far, my, at least this one, far too rich to be presented in eight seconds. I mean, this is, this is kinda of like that whole dishwasher thing, where everybody wouldn't let me Say, five times in one week, people would say, dishwashers use less water than washing dishes by hand. And I would try to, I wanted to say, but what if you use only a little bit of water when you wash dishes by hand? But I was only allowed to utter the word, but, and, and then their hand would come up and say, no, no! It is a fact! It is the only way it is true! You cannot say, but! That's not allowed! And now we must move on to another topic because you are clearly a fool. And it was the same kind of thing with the chicken. So I had to write the article. Same thing with the stupid fucking light bulbs. I, I don't like being the light bulb guy. This stuff is so obvious. So um, alright, so I wrote the chicken article, which immediately got lots of hate. And I, I was, I was, it took me days to write it because there's so much detail to it. And I came up with the number system because it's like, how do I express my opinion? I mean, these things aren't really, you know, a slam dunk across the board. And, and so I came up with several different metrics. I believe, uh, in, in fact, I didn't know I made eight metrics, but I believe that that was brought up in their response. Paul made eight metrics. And it's like, okay. And then I've had, I don't know how many people say, why don't you have predation be one of the metrics? And I, it's because... I feel like, I mean, A, if you want predation to be one of the metrics, then the, uh, the factory farming gets a 10. <laughs> so, and I don't like the factory farming. But the other thing is I kind of felt like, no, that, that, that's handled so much more generally as just, and so that the first, the topic immediately following is about predation. And I, I go into a lot of detail about that. But, all right, before we get on to the topics, what have I left out with in, just introducing the, the scenario? Nothing, nothing, oh man, I'm good okay um one of the very first points that that Darby mentions in in uh his his um fifteen minutes was uh you know for high production and and so um he i and I want to just point out that a lot of the things that I advocate i I far prefer the idea of 20 farmers raising a thousand chickens each than one farmer raising 20,000. So, so I want to have something that's extremely highly profitable. Um, but you're only going to sell maybe 500 chickens as opposed to trying to sell, you know, 19,000 or something like that. So, um, and, and if you're going, when permaculture is going to scale, then what, how it scales is that you add more, you know, permaculturalists to the system. And then each one does this. And that's, that's how it scales. It's easy to scale. Very easy to scale. Every time somebody says, oh, it doesn't scale, they're full of shit. Absolutely 100% full of shit. So, because when they, what they say is scale, like, oh, can you buy a bigger fucking tractor? You know? And in fact, when they want to move from a thousand acres to a hundred thousand acres, they're bringing in more people too. So permaculture has more people, less equipment, and it's going to be, um, uh, you have less work to do with irrigation, um, with feeding animals, you have less work to do with fertilization, um, and all these other things, much, much, much less work, like, like 10 times, 20 times, 100 times less work. And then it's with the harvest where you have more work.
2: I just want to bring it down more specific than that though because you're still talking in generalizations and i don't think they see it and i don't think darby could see what you meant by paddock shift systems so when you're talking about it scaling and i mean we really have to start with the question that melissa said she wanted to do chicken tractors when Darby thought she really meant Salatin-style chicken pens. And I think there's some people who could be listening that don't get that, and as we start describing what a chicken has to forage from in a tractor, a pen, or a paddock shift system, and start describing different systems like that, then it will um, explain how it can be scalable, why it's better, You know, if we get into specifics, instead of what you're saying, oh, it is scalable, but without the specifics. Do you see where I'm going with that?
0: Yeah, well, the other thing is I believe, I mean, it was brought up several times later, and I don't remember her saying it in the question, but it seems like they're thinking that she wants to raise six chickens. She's and like that. and in the meantime I think I think Darby's operation is like maybe a couple thousand birds 3, was 3000 birds a year yeah. <laughs> okay well which is okay I mean 3000 is kind of pushing outside of my comfort zone a little bit but if he's got three people working the farm 3000 is okay by me so um but you know so yes I I agree there's there is and I I think it's fair like we should talk about what is the, a chicken tractor and what is, I refer to it as a Salatin style pin. And he, uh, was calling it a pastured poultry pin, which is based on Joel Salatin's book, Pastured Poultry Prophets.
2: But they kept calling it a tractor too.
0: Uh, yeah, so they exactly. exactly. No, you are, yeah. you are right. They kept thinking that a chicken tractor is the same thing. And, and I wish to differentiate. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, and it's like, it seems like most people differentiate, but I also see a lot of people that refer to them as the same thing. So um, uh, uh, a and style pin is going to be about two feet high. It's going to be uh, 10 by 20. Um, his, his pins are still wood. They've always been wood, and they're really heavy. Um, on my article, I've got a bunch of different innovations that I've made where I try to make the pins lighter because I, I, I felt too much time was being spent in moving the chickens, Plus, there's this element of where I'm, I'm always perpetually freaked out and worried that the, the chickens will get run over when the pens get moved. Uh, especially by getting run over by a heavy pin. I, I, it just really bothers me. Um, then, there's the concept of the chicken tractor. Typically about three feet by seven feet. Now that would be an average. Sometimes they're two feet wide, sometimes they're four feet wide, but, but they're a much smaller thing. Whereas a salatin pin might contain 25 chickens, um, maybe even sometimes 50 chickens, then um, the chicken tractor is going to contain usually three to six birds. Um, and and the thing that really bothers me about uh, the chicken tractor is the philosophy that comes with it. So now you can use a chicken tractor, the contraption, in a lot of good and healthy ways. But a chicken tractor, the philosophy, the idea is, is that you go for scorched earth. You're going to put the animals into this small space and you will not move them until they have completed their scorched earth mission. And it's that mission that bothers me. And, you know, I got to, I got to qualify this that, you know, Jack, um, uh, awarded the duel, awarded the win to, to Darby, but Jack's position on chickens is they're just chickens. And apparently, um, I think he said something in his uh, summary about how you can see on their face that they're happy.
1: (laughs) Do they smile or something? Yeah,
0: with their chicken lips. They smile, (laughs) and and then they say, I'm happy. (laughs) And that's how you know. So I, I, I don't know. I, I can't tell, uh, very much. I mean, I think, I think when a chicken wants to hang out with me all day, then, then that chicken's probably pretty happy. Um, and, and I think, um, I don't know. I, I, when I see a chicken chasing a bug, I think that's what chickens do. And, um, and that I, when the, and when the chicken catches a bug, then I, I just imagine that the chicken's happy. Um, uh, although I'm not sure what to think. Like I got that one video where a, a chicken caught a mouse and I, and the, and the chicken's like, you know, and I, I play fly to the bumblebee and it's like, uh, the, the, the chicken's running around and they're making these noises. But you know what? I would think that the, if you get a mouse or if you get something really good, I think that it, what a chicken ought to do is, is learn ninja stealth techniques because, you know, you can be really quiet and then the other hens won't try to eat your mouse. <laughs> but then instead the chicken makes this noise like, I got a mouse! And then runs like hell and then all the other chickens come <laughs> running too. I want some!
1: That's kind of the same thing that we see with the turkeys up on the lab. Like, uh, whenever, when it, whenever we see one of the turkeys find something, immediately it picks it up and then it just starts running away from the rest of the turkeys to Maybe. go and try and eat the, whatever it has on its own without any other intervention.
0: Well, making a sound that basically says, "I got candy. I got candy. I got it. I got it. It's mine. Got it. My candy. Stay away. It's my candy. You can't have any." Which of course, the other turkeys are like, "You should share. It's good to share. It's the right thing to do. You should share. You got too much candy." So, yeah, it's I but but chickens, that's where I kind of think chickens aren't very bright is is they do that. All right. Um, yes, that was a bothersome thing where they kept, kept interchanging these words. And, and it's important to me to differentiate because I think how Salatin works the pens is different, very different, extremely. And I think, I thought I'd made it clear in my article and and granted, I wrote that article five years ago. But um, I think I make it clear in my article that um, the numbers that I give and the stuff where I talk about the chicken tractor is I'm, I'm really emphatic that, you know, if, if you're doing it this other way, go look at the stuff that I have to say about the Salatin-style pins. This is for talking about the philosophy and the technique of scorched earth. And so now I'm going to give really low, horrible numbers. And Darby was like, oh, the numbers he gave were so low. And it's like, well, yeah, it's a chicken tracker. Look at the numbers for the and pin. They're not as low. So, good point. We are, di- I, I should say I, I am differentiating. I choose to differentiate. I I have so much to say. And the entire field is so rich in different ways that you can raise chickens. So, you know, and I think, before I forget, this is actually a good point to raise. You know, it was only, it was earlier today, I think, at lunch, that we were talking about raising chickens. Mm-hmm. So, are we raising chickens this year?
3: Probably. I thought
0: the consensus was no. Okay. And, and why, why is that? I mean, you know, I've written a big article about chickens. I mean, I talk about chickens so much and why, why would we not raise chickens this year? I mean, you know, uh, apocalypse, the volcanoes erupting. What's, what's the reason?
3: No, I, I thought it came down to the land wasn't ready. We weren't ready in general. Um, it came down to human shelter first. Um But surely you
0: can throw together a chicken coop in like no sure. time and yeah. <laughs> No,
3: but it's a standard. Uh, it's a standard as we're working towards, so.
0: So what else? Anybody got any other reasons? Anybody?
1: The, uh, lack of forage on the land too was another thing that was brought up in the conversation that we had earlier.
0: Okay, anything else? Anybody? Emily, you got one? No? Anybody? How about, how about we don't really have a way to keep the chickens safe yet? Sure. Yeah. And it's like we don't have any livestock guardian dogs. And, um, and I think that I would, I would much rather do a first class system than do something that ends up being just, um, a a wolf feeder. We've got wolves (laughs) in the area. We have, uh, mountain lions. We have coyotes. Um, we have, we have lots, lots of, um, predators. Yeah. We've got the hawks um so there's there's lots and lots of predators here and i i think that um uh if we're gonna do it let's do it right let's do a really good job let's make sure that you know it's going to be the system's going to be closely monitored especially at the beginning and um let's make a really good um portable chicken coop and i've made many and i know it takes time and yet i just believe we have higher priorities right now so um so we're not going to do we're not going to chickens yet in the meantime. Uh, Tim is raising chickens up on the laboratory. Um, he's raising them his own way. No, he's not. Did he let them go?
2: They're all gone.
1: They're all gone. Where did they go? Decided. Into the into the know. He decided into the, to soup into the soup bowl. I think. Oh, okay. All right. He
2: decided they they weren't quite ready either.
1: Okay. All right. All right. Um, I think we're
0: all trying really hard to you know establish a lot of systems and the number. Well, and I think in the previous podcast, this one, we talked about that a great deal. You know, let's let's get our, our our ducks in a row first before we have ducks. Yeah,
1: and I would say that in the in what we just listened to, I think it was Darby who said that,
0: you
2: know, even if you can't do it perfect, just go for it anyway. But I had had trouble listening to that because I feel like we've all really thought about and talked about all the issues
0: that we would have with having chickens this season, and we have felt that we really need to be ready for it, and there's no reason not to do a wonderful job with it and to not be perfectly ready. So I think maybe some people aren't supposed to have chickens. I think that you should be able to develop that perfect system where you get a 10 and you are able to provide the perfect life for the chicken. So, I mean, I think that you can't just say, oh, you know, just do the best
2: you can in some situations. I think you have to really be ready. It's not respect. respect. It's not respectful. It. It's mm-hmm. not yeah.
0: respectful to the chickens. Yeah. Right. And I think if your policy is, oh, it's just a chicken, then it's like, oh yeah. If they all get eaten, then well, hey, you know, we we tried, and um, we'll do better next time.
3: It it would be like an mm-hmm. urban dweller trying to raise huskies or um, something along that lines. I mean, not everyone can raise a livestock guard dog. No, not everyone should. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I I mean, we could totally do it. We could, sure. but that would mean other projects would get postponed, and and it, because we would need to do it, we would need to do it well and do it right. And um, you know, we've I have sunk um, uh, some money and into a lot of fencing, fencing, which Tim and Christy are currently using, um, and so we could bring some of it down here to base camp, and we could do a lot of this. And I do I do want to live in a plethora of life. And I want to have lots of chickens. I want to have lots of animals, lots of diversity of animals. I want to have a jungle complete with farm animals. And, um, and yet at the same time, um, I feel like if a chicken gets eaten by a cougar, then that's my fault. That's, that's my bad. And I, I did a poor job of preparation and I kind of feel like it would be good to have, I think when we get to a critical mass of people, you know, then, then I think that then we can start moving forward on all these other fronts. Now we are, and the other thing is we are, we have a very extensive plan. We've already bought lots of seed with the intent of this is what you feed chickens. And so we're going to plant it everywhere. So, um, I, I think that that's, uh, a, a critical component, but we've got to give it a chance to get established and grow. All right.
2: Yeah. So you, you mentioned earlier that he said the salatin style pens are the only way to do a production operation. And and I know you disagree with that. And I think, um, I think there's so many different ways. If you have enough forage, you could have far, far better forage. And, and if you have enough infrastructure so that your paddock shift is simple, he was assuming you had to move the fences every time and it would take all this work and all of this other kind of stuff so that he thought for production, the Salatin-style pens were the best way to go. And I think there's so many things you could build into a system that would be better with um, the paddock shift for the chickens. If you yeah, just talk about that.
0: If you were to, if you were to have fixed paddocks
2: mm-hmm. and,
0: and then your paddock size was like a half an acre per paddock and it was a jungle in there, why not put in like um, 700, 800 birds and then you're moving them every four or five days? um and And then, when you're moving them, it means you go and you open the gate to the next paddock, and they all race through and then you close the gate i'm oh and that was that was a point that he made i don't see how it's possible that you could do it in two minutes per week. Well, dude, I just described it. <laughs> you open the gate, you stand there, and then you close the gate and you're done so and I mean like you know in the article I try to talk about the people that go and they have to go and, and shut the coop up every night and open it up every morning. And then every day they're putting food out or fresh water out, uh, twice a day. And, um, and then of course don't forget to scrape out the coop full of poop and everything. And, um, so I talk about like, you know, these different factors, like the, 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 there's two different poop factors. There's one poop factor where how much poop do I have to fuck with? Do I have to scoop out or scrape or, Suck in the aroma of all of that um ammonia um and what well, and then there's the other poop factor, and it's like how much poop does the chicken end up having to stand in, and are they sucking in the ammonia while they're trying to live there? You know it's the only roost there is, and it's like you know a toxic waste dump, and so it's like you know I'm not okay with that. Jack might be okay with that, I'm not um all right.
2: The, oh. the other part that surprised me is Darby said you have to supplement with grains when, um, well, I thought he meant when they're on grass. I mean, the, I thought he implied, I may have heard it wrong that when you're doing salatin pens, which really only move well over pastures and over grass, and even if you have a very rich polyculture pasture, you still are not going to have as diverse a forage as a paddock system that may have berries, fruits, bushes, shrubs, much more bugs, much more leaf litter, much more um, other types of omnivore, omnivore food. So. I thought what he was saying, and maybe he meant the winter, maybe I heard him wrong, but I thought he said you have to supplement with grain when you're doing the Salatin-style pens that are just basically on pasture.
0: So I think he said that you, you, uh, by doing the Salatin-pen style, you can cut your food bill by as much as 50%. And now Salatin says that you can cut your food bill by 20%. I think my experience was 20%. And, uh, as opposed to like if you've got them sitting in, um, a coop and run, you know, fixed space. And, and my thinking is, is that, um, uh, I, I think it's, it's plausible. You might be able to cut it by, by as much as 50%. But that would be like, you know, you've, you've worked, you've made sure that your pasture contains some really good food and lots of bugs and you're moving it. Um, so often, and you have few chickens in the pen, that's like when you get to a new spot, that maybe a lot of bugs will be able to get into there, you know, stuff like that. I can see how you might be able to, to leverage it to get it down to 50%. And then he said, and I wrote this one down, you have to supplement with grain in winter. And it's like, Seth Holzer will do that 12 days out of the year. But I'm kind of thinking like... Um, uh no i I think that there are ways i mean with the exception of the twelve days, so when you've got like the the ground is mega frozen hard, then it's like okay, now let's throw some food out for the chickens to be sure um but the other thing is you know step one is is you reduce the number of chickens that you have dramatically through the winter i mean you'll you'll have a thousand maybe fifteen hundred in in the warm months, but then you're gonna have like maybe. 150 through the winter. So um, now you don't need nearly as much. But if you've got a bunch of grain still on stocks, they'll eat that. And they can harvest that all winter. Um, uh, and then it, uh, the sun chokes, they won't be able to dig that out except on the days where it's a little bit warmer, but you know, other than the 12 days. But I think that there's tons of foods that you can plant that make for winter forage. And And so I would still supplement with grain because I kind of feel like As long as they've got access to to infinite dry grain, I I like the idea that we've created a system where they prefer what's out there in the field over the grain. The grain is just not interesting to them. It's not good. They don't want it. Um, And then we start getting into the whole thing about whether you want to grow some fodder, whether you want to grow some mealworms. Defeat them, um, things like that. That's a, but that's a whole nother discussion for another day. Um, they didn't, they didn't go into any of those fun topics. Um, next one I've got is the predators and a paddock shift. And so, Darby was saying, "There's no way." So, okay, maybe you can keep the coyotes out. Okay, livestock guarding dogs. Okay, but hawks. I, so it seems like hawks is his big one. His the big predator that he deals with is hawks. And, um, the funny thing is, is the podcast, the, the little, the little question and answer thing that we, that I'd sent off to Jack a week ago, um, was about, we, we talked about eagles. Oh yeah. You got those little hawks. Really? That's your problem. Hawks, little tiny, itty bitty hawks. You don't have any eagles, man? You don't (laughs) really? None? Because, you know, I think a hawk is like, that's yeah, it's pretty lightweight compared to an eagle, man. Those things are fucking monsters. There are evidence that pterodactyls once ruled the earth. Well, maybe not ruled. Pterodactyls <laughs> rule. <laughs> Tyrannosaurus drools. So uh, I, I think that, uh, um, I mean, an eagle is a big, big bird. And we got to hear about um, uh, the livestock garden dog the Northwest Farm Terrier. And I got a podcast about it, so we've got the the Northwest Farm Terrier um and they talked about two of them and how they were like strategizing to bring the eagles down and kill them and It's kind of like um so not only are they protecting the other animals, but they're actually trying like I think one was feigning being hurt and and then the other <laughs> one was in the nearby bush, ready That's to to double the attack smart. Smart. and they're trying to bring the 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 eagles down, so um, I'm I'm thinking that okay. So I I think little tiny hawks. I think we got those covered, but here's the other thing, <clears throat> and I think that if you've only done things with a Salatin pin, you have not witnessed this. But if you've got free range chickens and they're totally loose, and then a hawk flies over or any other raptor flies over, then you watch what happens. It's like they make a little sound. The chickens make a little sound that says, "Like there's a hawk," whatever. I mean, it's not—they don't speak English—but they make a sound, and I think that what they're saying is there's a hawk. And and then, whew, they're gone. The chickens disappeared. They went into ninja chicken mode.
2: Especially when you have cover for them—bushes, trees, yep. food forest system.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's the funny thing. It's like I—I yeah. re- I remember I had like about fifty chickens out. And there weren't that many bushes where they were hanging out, but they were all gone. I couldn't even see them. I, I think I might have seen two chickens out of 50 and, and near, just hanging out near the bottom of a bush. But then, and then the hawk moved on, but then they also made a sound and the livestock guardian dogs were like, I know what that sound means. And then the livestock guardian dog comes down and is like looking at the sky, like bring it motherfucker. And so the, um, I, I it's like the, the hawk really doesn't have a chance. And because not only the chickens protect, them, cause the other thing is, is that if a hawk decides to pursue a chicken into a bush, the wings of the hawk don't work well inside of a bush. It's, it's a little cramped and, and now you are at that perfect height to be dog food. Checkmate. You know, so I, I think that the, th- the key is, is that the hawks And the other raptors, they, they see the dogs and they know I can't get down in the bushes because once I do, then I'm setting myself up to be dog food. And they're not going to do it. They're going to, they're, and so my experience was, is that I did lose a chicken to some kind of raptor once. After years of, of not losing any. And I just found a, a pile of feathers. And, and so, um, I, I think that this one chicken, uh, we, I, I refer to this as goes on vacation. This is when a chicken gets out of the fence and the chicken goes on vacation. So a chicken went on vacation and was being pretty cocky. <laughs> and then, and, and then wandered like 200 yards away from where the dogs were. And it's like, no, nah, you just don't have time. Yeah. You don't have time. What were you thinking, stupid chicken? And so there's a pile of feathers there but that 's like after raising thousands of birds, I had one loss I mean I think that 's doing pretty good
3: yeah and i brought this I brought that up at lunch that um while i 'm not by any means advocating you mm-hmm. know raising chickens to feed hawks um, I think if what we 're trying to uh, emulate is a or what we 're trying to create is a farmland ecosystem uh, I, I do believe there's reasons you know that we can we can uh, <laughs> we can we could discuss on on the purpose of hawks in in that ecosystem you know and and that if if we make it as difficult as we can for a hawk to prey upon our chickens if things ever did get bad out there for un, bad enough for a hawk to risk its own life you know predator um pressure on our chickens to risk its own life to come after one of our chickens um You know, and, and succeed, uh, that there's a, there's a purpose for it. Like that 90% of the time it's going to keep down, you know, the rodent population or, you know, the squirrel population or something else. It's doing something else in that ecosystem. It has a role. Um,
0: well, I don't think though that like this Darby guy is advocating that we're going to get rid of the hawks. The hawks are still there. He's just trying to, he's got a system where, the chickens are so well penned in that the hawks can't get to them
3: right I'm, I'm i'm just saying it's not game over if a hawk does get one you know or or two or a certain x amount whatever that x amount is you know and and always work towards so that they don't because we are responsible for the chickens but it's not you know it's not a complete failure if
0: it's not a complete failure but i do think that we should take steps to make Absolutely. sure it doesn't happen. Absolutely. And and I you know I wanna minimize it as much as possible. Sure. I mean like, you know, if you died while you're here, you know, we could say, well it's not game over, you know. <laughs> I guess we can keep going. <laughs> uh <laughs> there's another P A PA, you know? <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna find out how much uh, P D did while he was here. And uh we'll see how much we suffer Dude, he's gone, you know. But, but it's an uh, ecosystem. Mountain I mean, lion got him. You know, you know, <laughs>
3: hawks exist for a reason in nature. Um and I, I think that's what we're trying to emulate, uh, if, if for nothing else than the beauty of the whole system, you know.
0: True, true, and I'm I'm thinking that all of our systems that we're we're advocating are going to still contain the predators. Although I I do like the idea that eventually on the laboratory that we can establish a strong enough perimeter that our large predators will you know sure. will not be able to get in. Right. And What's the neighbors are for. And <laughs> well, I mean it also helps to, to to define a perimeter so that the livestock guardian dogs can work. Because that's another problem too. Without a good sturdy perimeter, the livestock guardian dogs um, you know, will will scope out an area bigger than what is probably okay and that can lead to you know, problems with relations with neighbors. So <clears throat> all right. Do you add something, Jocelyn?
2: Uh I didn't I had another item, a new item. Um what Darby said is he said people won't pay for pastured chickens. And and I thought that was an interesting comment because <clears throat> basically he's doing pastured chickens, but he's just doing Salatin pen style pastured chickens. Did I jump past something?
1: <clears throat> uh, I believe what he said was people wouldn't pay for his labor.
2: Yeah.
1: So, like, if any extra work that he put in to doing a pastured uh, paddock shift system for chickens... He wouldn't make any extra money off of that.
2: Yeah. So the the assumption was that the Paddock shift style, the ideal thing that Paul was describing, he kept calling it ideal, was too expensive.
0: Right. Well, he could use it. He said ideal, in air quotes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And exactly. and so um, I I do think that there was a lot of emphasis on this crazy fantasy that I have, and uh, but at the same time. Um, I, have I, I don't think I have, no, I've got documented, um, um, examples. I mean, if nothing else, the way Salton raises eggs is effectively, um, a paddock shift system, uh, with the egg mobile, you know, and, and so that's well documented. Sepp Holzer's techniques are all paddock shift for chickens. Um, and, um, you know, we're talking about an urban question here. There was a lot of, at one point, you know, Darby was like, oh, if you've got a small space, you just cannot do this. And it's like, In the article, I show Laisha Bailey's setup where it is entirely urban and she's doing paddock shift. And I even made those cute little drawings showing the different paddocks that would be in an urban scenario. So it's like, no, for, you know, I've designed it for, you know, three to six chickens kind of a thing.
2: Well, and we already talked about how I think we implied Mm -hmm. that with a paddock shift system, if you have really, really good forage, you could probably reduce your grain costs even more. Um, And you also talked about if you have some permanent paddocks set up, it's just opening a gate. So it's not more labor. It's not more feed. The initial setup of a food forest um, system as opposed to just a pasture system is more labor-intensive and possibly more costly at the initial setup. But in terms of feeding the chickens in time, to take care of them, I think all of that, your costs could be reduced, could be cheaper.
0: Yeah, it and and uh, you're, that's a very good point. So he was saying, like, um no one's going to pay me for the extra time to do something like that. And I'm kind of thinking, like, sure. All, all you got to do is, I mean, with this system, if you set it up correctly, it should take you less time. And thus, you know, I guess people are then paying you for your time if you spend, I mean... Bottom line is you make more money with less effort, I believe using this system and it's and it 's not just an undocumented fantasy, so I think we've got a lot of um, evidence in fact, I moved to this system because I was using darby 's techniques and they sucked now, okay, I should qualify that i don 't know exactly what darby 's techniques are compared to what I was doing um, ten years ago, but um ten years ago that 's when I was coming to the conclusion of like. I'm not making enough money. And so I want something better. And I'm, I'm just, I'm glad that I wrote the article to express my betteritude. And then the best part was, is when I started finding all of these hundreds of other people that came to the exact same conclusion that I did. And, and you know, there's, I do advocate this as the best, but I think, you know, it's kind of weird. I feel like Jack and Darby are suggesting that what I'm saying is this is the only way. And um uh, and I do want to say that um, I know it's not the only way I, I in fact, I show in the article other ways that I've done it, and why I moved on from those other ways, why why I wanted something better. And I do believe that if somebody reads this article, <clears throat> clearly, um, this person, Melissa, I think, read the article and I did not properly fully convey what I needed to convey. And that is that I'm writing the article with the idea that if you take in this information, then it could save you all of the headaches that I went through to get to that point. I, I think setting up a paddock shift system would be faster, simpler and easier than setting up a coop and run. Yeah. And, and frankly, these coops that I see are just so fucking scary it's like there is. I've seen so many coops where there is no way for the chickens to ever get any sun, and it's kind of like I really hope that I can get that through in my article. Sun is important. Plus, you know, there is value to um, taking a jungle animal and providing it the closest thing that you can make to a jungle. Um, and 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 frankly, the, the chicken tractors and the pens. Fall short. Now, Jocelyn, earlier you were talking about the kinds of things that can be in a paddock. And, um, and I wanted, I wanted to just emphasize that I made my own little list here. So I've got trees and shrubs can be in a paddock and they cannot be in a salatin pen. They cannot be in a chicken tractor. A hugel culture bed. How are you going to get that into a salatin pen? I mean, salatin pins, <laughs> Kind of require really flat, homogenous land, sure. which is contrary to what I'm okay with. Any sort of slope,
3: right?
0: Um, you can you can have some gentle slope, but right. boy, if you start having serious texture to your landscape, right. suddenly those south and pins just don't fit in the system anymore. Right. Wow. And so it's like, oh, I'm going to have something that's flat and homogenous and monocroppy, <laughs> and it's kind of like. Eh. And then you mentioned bugs and, and I've got down here logs and duff full of mm-hmm. bugs mm-hmm. and and it's like all kinds of crazy wonky stuff. And then the chickens can go and scratch forever for bugs. And and then hopefully you've got, you know, if you've really designed the world's most awesome uh, uh, paddock ship system, every paddock will have some running water in it, like a little tiny uh, uh, creekish thing. and And so then you don't even have to fool with getting them water.
2: Yeah, don't you want your chickens to be going under your other food systems to be um, breaking up the cycle of worms in your apples, for instance? I mean, you know, you can't take a Salatin pen underneath your apple tree. Not necessarily. I mean, under one side of it, but, you know, but that could be part of a paddock shift.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Mark Shepard is a is a big believer in that. I mean, he he purposely has his chickens run through um, underneath his apple trees uh, certain times of the year specifically for that purpose.
0: So um, I've got another note here about six birds. I th- I think we're talking about six birds. I don't remember her saying anything about six birds, but um, I also think that when she says chicken tractor, she was thinking of three feet by seven feet. And I think that most of the time that Darby's talk, talking about a chicken tractor, I think he's thinking of this this ten foot by twenty foot pen, a salatin style pin. But um, for six birds, um, probably an urban lot, I would guess. You know, maybe maybe she's got some acreage, but but even still, it's like I, I did
2: she say five acres?
1: Mm-hmm. She so did does say she, five acres.
0: Okay, so she's got five acres. Okay. So I'm with five acres. I I'm sorry why would you not do a paddock shift system with chickens I mean it'll get your stuff to grow even better especially if you could also rotate other animals through those same paddocks and then also like why
3: why are we just folk with 5 acres it seems like diversity really should start entering into I mean a food forest a food savanna should like you should not just be growing chickens uh you shouldn't just be focusing just on chickens. It should be a more, much more of a polyculture.
0: Now she could be in a position similar to what we're in, where we're trying sure. to build other things first. Right. You know, like let's get all the, 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 the ground pumping up food and then let's bring in chickens. And so, um, in which case I would, I mean, I, I can only advocate that which I'm doing, which is I'm going to wait. I'm going to do chickens later. Um now, you know, granted, we could go ahead and get a few chickens and, and get something started, but even then it's kinda like the the kind of fencing we would have to have just for a few chickens would have to be pretty industrial strength, and then we're building everything twice. And so I'd rather build it once, I'd rather build it right the first time and have something that's gonna be very safe for those animals. I, I have another note here where it says Jack's comment is it's just a chicken. <clears throat> and and one of the things um I I thought of like, if I ever write a book I'm going to call it pampered poultry. <laughs> and, and it, it entirely has to do with how I, I just feel like, um, there needs to be respect for the animal. And I, and, and, and like, you know, what Jacqueline Freeman does, reverence for the animal. I mean, I don't mean you have to pray to a damn chicken, but it's kind of like, you know, it's a, it's a living thing put here by God. Can we not respect it? I mean, if we're going to eat it, it's totally, it, it, it there is going to be the harvest. And it's like, can we be just try to be respectful and try and give it a much better life than it would get than uh, if it were uh, wild. We, I, I think, we have an obligation yeah. to provide a life for it that's better than if it were in the wild.
2: And I have a different perspective for Jack on that. And you know, we should say that you know Jack is one of your good friends too. And I really appreciated meeting Jack and his wife Dorothy and Dayton. And I just think they're cool people. But I took issue with how Jack was saying, you could move the pens without crushing the chickens. They figure it out and it's harder when they're small, but it's just a chicken. And, and I think even if it bothers you to hear people talk about respecting animals, I think some people, you know, feel like humans, you know, are the dominant species and that animals, you don't have to respect them, but you should respect other people. I think even if you disagree with Paul on that point, it comes down to the bottom line. Because the more you stress the animal, the more likely they are to get mites, to get diseases, to not put on the poundage you want them to put on. The more you stress them, the less effective and sustainable your system is. So if you have... A forest animal where it can't take cover in shrubs and bushes, that's stress. If you're moving them in a pen where the pen could crush them, that's stress. It's, it reminds me of you talking about putting animals in, um, in a, a paddock with electric wire where they don't have enough room to get away from the wire. That's stress. The more you stress, the more it's going to affect your bottom line, even if you don't care about respecting that animal.
0: That's a very good point that's a very good point the more resilient they're going to be um, uh, and and you know I have to wonder too is is if um, if I cared for a chicken and Jack cared for a chicken I wonder when it when it comes down to um, to, to to chicken fried chicken day then uh, which one tastes better and uh, and and so I mean is that I think that's probably one of the biggest values and then plus not only that, but I kind of, I, I, this is why I put so much value in, in pastured beef is I kind of feel like when that chicken has been treated extremely well and fed very good food and very clean water and cared for, you know, exceptionally well, then I kind of feel like does, does the meat from that chicken end up being a superfood that is able to cure cancer? And so maybe, maybe my chicken will be able to cure cancer and whoever eats it, whereas Jack's might not.
3: And what about marketability? I mean, if, you know, all things being equal, if someone saw how your chickens were raised and how, you know, not not to put them out there, but Jack's chickens were raised, you know, which ones would they rather buy?
0: That's a good point. I mean, I could go over to Darby's house, take pictures, and then take pictures of my operation and say... (laughs) something like these are chickens raised by Darby look at how he treats them they're in cages all day long over back they're shitting on each other they're pecking at each other (laughs) and then here we have the chickens at Paul's Pampered Poultry right These chickens are given massages throughout the day. <laughs> They're gently encouraged to try some of the new foods that are presented from the food buffet. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, but but yeah, I think I think that there's uh, there is something to be said for. I think that there is higher marketability, yeah. and I think that it's possible that you could leverage that and and make a greater profit.
3: And not not just that. I mean, there's also the idea of why, what's it called, framping, or, or what is it, glamping? I mean. <laughs> if, if you have you have a statement like if if it smells you're doing it wrong. Right. I kind of have one myself. If it's not if it's not beautiful you're doing it wrong. Um, Ooh. So because it does open you up to other areas of of you know marketing.
0: Um, uh, that's a really layered, good point.
2: Yeah. Layered absolutely. different right. layered sure. income sure. models or different multiple income models. Is,
0: when you're raising chickens, is it a soul building experience right. or is it a soul draining experience? And and that's a big part of what led me to it because I just kind of felt like I want to live in this beautiful place with a plethora of life and feed people. And um, the way I was raising chickens in those Salatin-style pens was a violation of what I was feeling. I just felt it was wrong. I didn't like it. I didn't feel it was respectful to the chicken. I didn't feel like I was – and this is even before I'd heard the word permaculture. I didn't feel – like it was as aligned with nature as I would like. I wanted, and, and, and what a lot of it was is that this is a jungle animal. I have them in a cage away from the closest thing I have to a jungle, which is a forest. And, and it's like I'm planting all kinds of stuff in my forest, which they could eat, or I could even, you know, try to get them into where I've got apples, you know, rotting apples on the ground That's that right. they could eat. Right. But, um, it's like they can't really, it's, it's really hard. To get the salatin pins through the orchard area, and so um, I wanted something better. So um, yeah, I, I think I think there is something. Is is it something where it's like people could come in and believe that these chickens are pampered, versus these chickens are in a portable factory going across a field? It's granted the salatin style is so much better than a factory. And I'm not saying that it's like, you know, um, uh, just as bad as a factory. I'm not saying that. I, but what I am saying is, is that I believe that the paddock shift system is better than the Salatin system. And as much as, as Joel Salatin is a fucking genius, he's a kindergartner compared to Sepp Holzer. So it's kind of like, you know... Let's. Let, I. I. I choose to upgrade. I choose to do better, and and the fact that that Jack doesn't see my vision after having read my article, and Melissa doesn't see it, and Darby doesn't see it, and all three of these people read my article. Clearly, I suck at writing articles, <laughs> <laughs> and I. I need to go and take a look at that <laughs> and try and fix it. Yeah, so I, I
3: think they were more giving license to, to say don't, don't, you know. Don't not do it uh, just because you can't, sh- just because you don't feel comfortable doing the absolute ideal. And I believe your way is the absolute ideal. Um, you know, and and if you do want to raise chickens, um, you know, t- the 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 pol- panchered poultry pen, it's not in necessarily an inhumane way of doing it. Um, there's, I, I think that's what they were saying. They were they were saying like just. You know, if that's what you're comfortable with doing, go ahead and do it. Um, and, and I kind of agree with him on that. If, if, if. if I, I think If the, it's a solution, if it's a choice between not doing anything at all, um, and doing a responsible pantry poultry pen, you know, where you are respectful to the, to the, to the poultry that you're raising, um, I would much rather you enter the game when, when you are ready than not enter it at all. Is that fair?
0: I, I think that these three people have, are are in the same boat as most people who raise chickens. And that is where they say, I must be doing a good job because most of these chickens haven't died. And I, and I really kind of feel like the fact that only a few chickens have died does not, is, is not, shouldn't be held up as great praise. Oh, I I raised a hundred chickens and only three of them died. I, I think it's, it's much higher praise to be able to say that I raised a hundred chickens and, um, all of them made it to butchering day. <laughs> yeah. So I guess they all died still, but you know, more of them, uh, turned into profit or
1: it went into my belly
0: as opposed to, um, you know, rotting out there on the field.
1: Um, I think another, to, like to go on to the, another point, the sustainability of chickens is something that Darby mentioned, as that chickens aren't really a very sustainable uh, way to get meat as compared to beef and pork. Um, and I think that's another reason why this is so important, what we're doing, is to be able to create sustainable ways to grow chickens and to be able to make chicken meat plentiful without having to resort to factory farms and... Using all sorts of hormones and chemicals and everything else, I think that if we can prove that uh, relatively large scale chicken farming can be done in natural and sustainable ways, I think it'll be a really good thing for everyone.
0: You know, I I did think he made a really good point there, and when he, when he started exploring sustainability and in, in chickens, and he and he felt chickens were not sustainable unless you're doing egg production, and he, and then but the thing that bothered me is that he said, "Look back, you know, in history." And I think he was talking about like hundreds of years ago. Chickens were something you, chicken was something you just generally didn't eat. It wasn't like served as often as it is today, and um, and that was his justification. And I kind of feel like you know, I think of permaculture as like trying to understand all the new stuff and understand all the old stuff, and try to find an optimal path using those tools. And I, and I think it's wrong to say we should only do the things that were done, um, 200 years ago or only the things that we do now. I, I think that, you know, basically I, I, I kind of feel like what we're looking for are low tech solutions. I mean, when you get really well aligned with nature, I believe that you end up with very few materials being involved in the process. Um, and so I'm thinking that it's entirely plausible that Chickens can be and are sustainable. Only I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Darby doesn't see it yet. I mean, I, I feel like when Darby was talking about a lot of this stuff, I kind of kept, I kind of felt like, well, what about you know planting all this stuff that that you could grow, but that you can't put a pin over. I mean, a mulberry tree is such an awesome source of food for chickens through the summer, um, and yet you know it's kind of hard to work a, a bunch of mulberry trees into a and pen style of arrangement and and sunchokes it is really difficult for those chickens to reach the tubers of the sunchokes from the pen um and so sunchokes are out but sunchokes are such a an enormous crop and then on top of that you could grow your people food and your chicken food all together Anyway, all right. So sustainable, yeah. I, I kind of felt like, and in fact, you know, a lot of this, I was kind of feeling like, um, all right. So maybe I did a sucky job writing this article because clearly these three people walked away, and they didn't get. There, there's something in my article they did not grok on the way away from the article, and and so I must be a sucky writer, and I need to go and revisit that article and look at it and rework it. But could you at least have some imagination? You know, I mean, can you not imagine creating a jungle where chickens can get food all year? Or, you know, then there's a whole thing of like you have 1500 during the the warm months and then you have 150 through the winter, you know. Um uh, you know, can you imagine a system that can function there? And and so I was kind of I mean, I've never met Darby and this is the first I've heard of him. <laughs> but I was kind of thinking like, come on, man. Come on, which in itself is a fallacy. <laughs> so we were talking about uh, later on, um, uh, Jack says um, uh, he tries to say that uh, uh, the paddock shift system and the chicken tractor are the same thing. And then he says it's the same thing. it's the same thing. it's the same thing. And this last one's for Paul, it's the same thing. And that's referred to as the ad nauseum fallacy. That's where you take false information and you just say it over and over and over again. And it's weird. People will start to believe it's true because they've heard it so many times. Um, I believe Fox News, um, this is, this is their, this is the, truly their number one technique. They'll have a phrase of the day and, and then they'll just make sure that it gets said over and over and over again throughout the day. And by the end of the day, people who watch Fox News all day long, start to believe it to be the truth. I mean, I think I, I think the actual people there who work at Fox News start to believe it's the actual truth. And the, and it's like it's a, it's a proven technique. It is amazing. And of course, just like Jedi Jedi mind tricks, they only work on the weak-minded. So, um I think that if anybody fell for that then and 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 I think the cheapest, sleaziest, simplest Jedi mind trick in the world is the one I just used a moment ago. Ah uh, Come on. <laughs> I, it is, I, I, I don't, I still cannot fathom how people buy that. Let's go to the movies. No. Ah, oh, come on. Well, okay. How the fuck did that happen? How was ah, oh, come on persuasive? How did that work? So I just said it. I regret it. I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to refer suggest that the people listening to this podcast are so stupid that they would fall for ah, oh, come on. And um, yeah, I want to hit the undo on having said that.
2: I just wanted to say I thought Darby was overall very complimentary of your article and sounded very knowledgeable, and Sam went to his website and, and told us a little bit about his success at doing his pastured animal products, um, which is awesome. It's very cool. I, th- I think both Darby and even Jack, even though Jack is a huge proponent of food forest, they just the idea of setting up paddock shift systems to, in their minds still seemed like more work than the Salatin pens. I think that's what it came down to. They disagreed with you on it being less work at that level.
0: I, th- I think that um, putting in permanent fencing for a paddock shift system for chickens or even all animals, I mean, that, that is one of those, you know, f- gift to your future self. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> And, and that kind of leads me to my next thing that I've got written down is, um, the, he was saying, he's wondering if I had experience with Electronet. And I got to say that not only do I have heaps of experience with Electronet fencing, but, um, I have an article called, uh, Electric Fence Donuts. And, and this is where I come up with a system <clears throat> where you can put the fences in places where the ground is so crazy hard that you can't get a fence post into the ground. And so, um, but it's like you're moving electric fencing, and you got to move them regularly and quickly, and you can't just spend forever doing it. But um, I would, uh, um, I had these things that were basically made out of cement. I made them out of cement, and they were weighted, and they had a hole in the middle that was the perfect exact size of that fiberglass post. And then I, whenever the ground was that hard, I would just put one of these donuts on the ground and stick the post in, and I'm done. And I can move on. Um, and I've also got an article about called Typical Day about how when you're being a farmer, some days things just don't line up. And so a task that you think is going to take half an hour ends up taking two days. And so um, and then the article I talk about how I wanted to move my goats, which, by the way, were behind electro net fencing and um, uh, they needed to go to a new fresh paddock. And but what I do is is whenever I have a new fresh paddock, I I take uh, I hook the Bush Hog up to the tractor, and I go and I mow because just like Darby said, it shorts out so easy. It does it short because the, the bottom wire is so close to the ground. So I go and I mow where I'm going to put the fencing, so that way there's not stuff that's going to be touching it. Then I put the fence up, but I go to get the tractor and um, I can't get the PTO shaft to move. And, um, things happen. And so it ends up taking days. And so as a short-term solution, I just make their paddock bigger, um, until I can come back and, and, and I, and I, you know, anyway. All right. So that's a long, long story. But yes, I have lots of experience with Electronet fencing. I currently own shit tons of Electronet fencing and several zappers. And yes, they are crazy expensive. And I think that good solutions are going to include things like, um, like permanent fencing or a hybrid between permanent fencing and electro, electric fencing. Um, he, there was, I wrote down a quote here, article is in La La Land. So <laughs> I'm from La La Land. I'm going to have my birth certificate modified. <laughs> I was born in La La Land. It sounds like a place where people sing. So, um, please don't. <laughs> yeah, please don't sing. All right. <laughs> Were you saying something about I was singing a lot the other day?
2: Yeah, please don't. Yeah, please don't. Okay.
0: So, um, uh, oh yeah, somebody said you you know something about the, the, the. Oh, it was this. It was this. And so somebody drew this little picture of a cat, and little Lulu was standing there. Yeah and lulu said that's me <laughs> right. and i said you probably think this song is about you don't you don't you oh. so yeah you asked me not to sing and that and now She's we found 20s. out you can't tell me what to do <laughs> so um, and and so anyway the la la land comment was with respect to uh time um, and, and so, um, and I think I talk about that in the article. I talk about how if you're going to, and then it was about the two minutes per week. And it's, and I, for all the metrics, I tried to say 25 birds. And so I was, I was saying like to get it down to two uh, minutes per week. And I said that there's a range. There's a range of anywhere from, a, I gave it a score of four to 10, I think. So it's like, yeah, if you optimize all your systems, if you make your system as optimal as possible with a, a Salatin style pen, You still have to go and move that pin once or twice a day. I mean, if you're going to cut your time, you can probably get it down to once a day. If you put only three chickens in an enormous Salatin pin, okay, maybe you can leave it there for three days. But, um, But you're still going to have to go and move it. But now I can optimize a paddock to be something where I'm moving the chickens every 10 days. And all I do is open a gate, wait for them to run from one to the other, and close the gate, and I'm done. That's all the time it takes. I don't have to scoop poop, I don't have to bring food to them, I don't bring water to them, I don't have to do all these other things. I'm not moving any pins, so
3: which opens you up to vacation. Um, give, right. I mean, handing the reins over to someone, doing it right before you leave, coming home and then doing it again.
0: Right. Yeah. So, like, if I've got a ten-day system set up, then I can move them, go away for ten days, come back and move them again. Right. You bet. Yeah. And um, I thought I I thought I made that clear in the article. Now I imagine that the question was presented to him, and he probably. I mean, my article, and I've had like I don't know twenty people say that I should put it into book form. <laughs> I should. I mean, basically the whole there's a book there, and I'm thinking that would be a small book, but I don't know if you add in enough <laughs> pictures. Plus, there's like at the bottom I've got these these markers that I use from from when I was programming called to-dos. Just T-O-D-O that I would, I, and so I put these little things in there saying, oh yeah, I still have to write these parts, and I just never got around to writing those parts. So I, I could finish it. I could, I, and it could be a book. Maybe I'll do a Kickstarter. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, but I, I, I think I, I talk about how I could get down to two minutes in the article, and so maybe he just looked at it, thought this article is so massive. There's no way I'm reading the whole article, <laughs> and so he just kind of skipped through it because he kind of did seem to say that I didn't say anything about predators, but in the article, a little lower down, I totally do. So um, that would be that would be my guess.
2: He just said you didn't do a scoring a uh, score point on predators, right?
0: And I've been asked that about 40 times um, to put a score in there, but I just feel like you know I think I I, I think that's one where I choose to just cover it on its own. And not make a metric out of it. Um, all right. Mm. And plus, I feel like the numbers I'd come up with wouldn't be of of great value. Um, you know, whereas I feel like the 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 six systems that I have in there with the eight metrics, I I think that they do vary a lot, and there is there is a lot to be said. So if you do factory, I mean, you're you're scooping a lot of poop, and then there's poop mountains, and it, it's poopy. Yucky, and so um, anyway, yeah, with awesome. the other systems, some like like some coop and run, you're still dealing with poop that's and a
3: biological predator. <laughs>
0: so uh, all I'm, you know, so I I just feel like, um, you know, with the predator systems, it's like a lot of them. There's not a, it's pretty obvious. There's not a lot of um, uh, variants, and then plus predators are there's so many different predators. Um, all right, what if you don't have enough land oh and that was that was something that he said he asked this question what if you don't have enough land to do paddock shift for chickens so i think we talked about that already um you can do it with urban people are doing it with urban um so i'm right i'm I'm doing this oh jack jack said that he loves me so it, it's now on record it's recorded jack loves me <laughs> so um uh Let's see. Uh it's not the it's not the best way for every circumstance. So this is Jack saying this. It's not the best way for every circumstance. Okay, so what's a circumstance where anything else would be better? Anybody? You got anything? Okay, so there's five people here. So
2: chickens. Anything better.
0: Okay, so these are Jack's words. It's not the best way for every circumstance. So I want to know what circumstance might he be referring to? Anybody got one? Zombie apocalypse. Zombie apocalypse. <laughs> well, they don't, they eat brains. They don't eat chicken.
2: I think just the reason we're not getting chickens yet is there's not enough forage. So, uh, it's, it's maybe not, it, it's still far healthier for them to be in pasture rotation um, because they're not going to be in so much of their own poop and, Things like that, but it's not the best food situation for them right now when there's not food in the paddocks.
0: Well, I mean, okay, so like right now here, they would not find food in the paddocks. Yeah. Not so much. Yeah. But, you know, but the idea is we're going to plant winter feed for right. them. Of course. So okay. you're saying like right now would be a scenario where coop and run would be good because you would be feeding them from sacks of food that you bought at the store?
2: I think, right. I think kind of what PD was saying earlier, is if Melissa wants to start now, and she doesn't have a food forest set up, or whoever, somebody else, and they they don't know where they're going to plant their trees yet, they're still building some of their permanent fencing, things like that, they're still going to be feeding a lot with grain, that I could see someone maybe doing a Salatin-style pen as an interim step as their. You know, to just to get going, you know. And if they have free wood to build the pen with, but they're saving up to buy the electro netting and get the permanent fencing going, you know, as an interim.
3: Maybe to build confidence, maybe along those lines, right? Um, simply because it's, it's more traditional, I guess. Not that that's a good thing, but you're not going to have... I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm I'm struggling to think of a Dude. better...
1: Uh, it seems to me like that any situation that, you would ar- that would arise as far as the size of the land, you could adjust, just adjust the amount of chickens you have, and you'd still be able to do a paddock shift. Anywhere from, like, you've got, like, an eighth of an acre with a really tiny backyard. Well, then you might have to run two chickens. It's just, you know, every situation would be different. And the only thing that I could really think of is just, like... If you were in the desert or something and there's just absolutely no food. But at that point it seems to me that chickens just wouldn't be the best option for you to be raising in that environment. Yeah. You know.
2: Yeah. I, I didn't mean to imply that would be better. I'm just saying I think it would be a a
0: short term solution. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I, I I kinda feel like, yeah, it's it's true. if you're gonna um <clears throat> if you're gonna do paddock shift You do need to have some kind of fence to keep them in, but you could make a salton style pin cheaper. And then, you know, just say then that's what you're going to be in until we can set up a paddock, uh, 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 a paddock shift system. I do think that paddock shift is going to end up being cheaper than coop and run. Um, but yeah, salatin style pin, I could see you could make that pretty quick. And then you don't have to make, you don't have to do anything with fencing or, or anything like that to keep them in. So I could see that being, um, and if you're low on funds or time or or whatever. It, but the other thing is, though, is that, well, if, I don't think you say low on time because then, then you got to go move the pin twice a day. And you can't leave your property unless you've got a lot of other people there who can cover for you when you're not there um, because the pin would need to be moved once or twice a day, depending on how many birds you have in the pin. All right. Let's see. Um, And, oh, Jack says, there's nothing wrong with scorched earth. And so that's the chicken tractor philosophy, that you leave the chickens in the same place until they've consumed every piece of vegetable matter there and they're standing in a lot of their shit. Then you can move it on. And and so Jack says there's nothing wrong with scorched earth. And then he points out that, you know, uh, a few weeks or months later then that piece of ground comes to life with all kinds of vegetation you know consuming all that chicken poop and um it's it's true there is that and at the same time if there was any rain then of course um a lot of that chicken poop got rinsed into because it's such a heavy concentrate and and chicken poop is so high in nitrogen it's so hot that if there's a heavy rain then it kind of gets to make your drinking water taste a bit like chicken poop and there are places in the world where they're near um, a, a concentrated chicken area, and their drinking water tastes like chicken shit. So it's it is something where I feel like it's it's not a very good quality. Um, um, I think that there is lots wrong with the whole scorched earth thing, and I go into great detail in the article. And one of the things is is that um, the animals go from eating the ice cream to um, eating the the stuff that's like um, slightly toxic. And then when that's all gone, then all that's left is the stuff that's really toxic. But all they've got is really toxic growies and this um, moldy Purina chicken chow, which is made out of uh, ingredients which were not suitable for human consumption. And so not a very high-grade food. So then they've got the stuff that's got toxins in it but it does contain nutrition and toxins, or you've got the stuff that's the, the, the chow, the, um, the, the not even human grade food. So at that point they start to eat the toxic stuff. And that's where I really have a problem. Plus they're standing around in their own shit. And so it's like he's saying there's nothing wrong with the scorched earth approach. And, um, I suppose a person could take that position and I have to respect that. I just take a different position. And I find plenty wrong with it. It makes me uncomfortable. I'm not okay with it. And I'm going to continue to say I'm not okay with it. And, um, and it's my article. I can say whatever the hell I want. And that's what I'm saying. I'm not comfortable with it. Um, one of the things Jack said is he likes to use a chicken tractor as an outdoor brooder. And I think that that may very well be the best use in the world of a chicken tractor. In fact, um, when I left my farm in Mount Spokane, <clears throat> I took very few things with me, but one of the things I took is that I was about to build um, a portable chicken coop that was uh designed for use as a, a or, uh, to build a, a chicken tractor to be used as a, a brooder an outdoor brooder um, and so the plan was is that there would be one part that would be kind of coopish and one part that would be kind of um, fenceish. And, um, so the little chicks could come out and be in the fence-ish area, and I'd use hardware cloth to make it so it was a small enough hole that they couldn't get through. And, um, it would be an insulated coopish part, and I had, uh, light bulbs and the mounts, and I also had a, uh, a thermostat that I could configure to try and keep it at 105 degrees in there. Because that's, that's the, that's the temperature of hen butt. That, I, I wanted it, I wanted to set the thermostat to hen butt. And, um, that way the chicks would stay nice and warm and toasty and do great in their outdoor brooder. (laughs) What's that?
3: Beyond 11.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I think it'd be 105 degrees. Mm -hmm. It's hidden And that's the last (laughs) of my notes. Who's got any more notes?
2: That's it for me.
0: We covered it. So, um, Jack called the duel as he, he gave the win to Darby. And, um... I, I, I know very little about Darby. It sounds like he's an enthusiast of Joel Salatin's work. And, um, uh, and I, I just want to, uh, say that I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, that I wasn't invited to the duel. And, um, <laughs> and, um, I, I think my message now is bring it, baby! And, uh, I, I think I, you know, in my obnoxious way, I proclaim that I win. Um. <laughs> And it's my article, it's my standards, I win, I win, I win. And by Jack's standards, apparently I lose. And um, that makes me think that, uh that makes me a little sad for Jack's standards. So, um, all right, anything else to add here? Nothing? Nothing? If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about chickens, homesteading, and permaculture all, all the, the time.
3: time.